Welcome to this Lorien Sport podcast with me, Sean Cotchall, the founder and CEO of Lorien Sport. I'm here at the BT Centre at St Paul's in London with Alex Slade, the Head of Legal at BT Sport. Alex, thank you for joining me today. That's a pleasure, mate. <laughs> um, we've spoken over the years now um, on many occasions, you've written a number of articles for us for Lorien Sport. And one of the things that I thought that I've just taken for granted is that why did you decide to move into sport? We, you know, I had a look at your LinkedIn profile earlier, and you've had quite a, an illustrious career already <laughs> in, in the legal sector. One of the things to take for granted is, how did you actually become um, a lawyer within the sport sector? Uh, I think it's a bit of coincidence, a bit of luck, um, definitely not planning. Um, I started off not really knowing where I wanted to go in law. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. That was... As far as I was concerned, taking for red, I even took some time out and decided, yeah, I want to carry on being a lawyer. But I started as a general commercial sort of IP lawyer um, and loved it. Uh, decided I wanted to focus my career a little bit when I was a few years in and decided media was, was for me and specifically television. So I started looking around for TV jobs, ended up... Um, so as, before that, though, you went in-house, didn't you? So I did, So yeah. you already moved in-house to... Farmer. Uh, I went immediately from qualification. I'd done my training at a, a medium-sized city firm. Uh, was offered um, a, a permanent place in a um, department I didn't really want to want to qualify into. Shipping finance wasn't for me. Uh, so I always planned to go in-house, and I just ended up going in-house immediately on qualification rather than waiting for a little bit. My first role was in Booper, so healthcare, for about a year and a half. Um, it was, gen again, gen very general commercial IP role. It was great, perfect first start. Um, then I moved to uh, a farmer um, for about a year and a half as well, nearly two years. Uh, again, a general commercial role, but not in an industry that neither of those industries really meant anything to me. So it was more of a job than a real... Yeah, good brands, good to work for, um, good experience, good, um, good size legal teams, I take it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, again, fantastic training, but nothing that really sort of ticked all the buttons for me. Um, so after that, I ended up going away for a year and spending some time out deciding what I wanted to do with nice. my life and I decided I wanted to carry on being a lawyer. I'd invested a lot of time and energy and money in, in becoming a lawyer. Definitely wanted to carry on doing it. All and was there a period though where you thought to yourself you were looking at other options as well then? Or, um, or do, in this case if you just thought I definitely want to be in law but I'm not sure where I want to go Well with I think the initial sort of conversation with myself was do I want to be in law and that was a very very quick conversation. <laughs> it was like yes that is definitely a thing but I want it to be in a fun industry, something that I can really engage with, I can understand, I get a bit of passion from, and TV and media was, was where I wanted to be. Uh, and I was very lucky, I got a role at Nickelodeon in kids TV. So I worked in uh, at Nickelodeon for six years as a TV lawyer doing a whole range of stuff. We had a very small team, um, so we did everything, a lot of licensing deals, content deals, distribution, but then all the other fun stuff, so a lot of compliance. Um, fun stuff. <laughs> you really do love the law. It, it really, well, no, but some Excellent. of the compliance was brilliant. Yeah. When you get complaints from people and you're, you're reviewing the programs and reviewing the, the promos that the teams are putting together. Because 
what I loved about it was everyone was in the same building, everyone was in it together, creating. It's, it's the creative side of, of TV um, that really, really got me. And it was fantastic because you're part of it. And as a lawyer, you can quite often feel a little bit set aside from, uh, from the heart of the business and you're just a function. And that's something that a lot of legal teams, I think, really not struggle with, but they really sort of have to work hard at to, to get right. You've got to be part of the business to really get the business to be part of it and to, to feel really valued. Um, and we, because we were a small team, we were doing everything. We were looking across all parts of the business, from top to bottom, dealing with anyone and everyone within the business. And it was... Um, yeah, it was. It really cemented for me the fact that media was where I wanted to be. Absolutely, hundred percent. And do you think? Just sort of, I won't comment on sort of what you're doing now, but it's interesting. You say you, you're reflecting on, on sort of the role of the in-house team, which is something I want to come on to later. But do you think that, that having that close proximity and having that as a smaller mm -hmm. business have uh, helped the, the rest of your colleagues understand what your function was? Because I think that's one of the when I speak to a lot of in-house lawyers, it's one of the can be a real challenge is actually communicating where you're adding value to the business and not being that that sort of I guess group of individuals on the side who are maybe you know uh, 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 you know typically pen pushers you know people who yeah. look over contracts and stuff like that but actually you understand the business and add some value there. Definitely, I mean, what you don't want to be is just a, a simply a support function because then all that happens is they have a problem, they come to you, you fix a problem, you go away. What you've got to be is genuinely embedded in the business and yeah the more you interact with the business the more they get to understand your perspective your needs and they don't see you as purely a function a, su a support function that is there just to do what they want <clears throat> if you can explain your positioning get them to explain their positioning suddenly you find where the weak points are what the the stress points are where the where the sort of buttons are being pushed from within the business who you need to influence and it's sort of a collaborative process, and it really should be. You've got to be to be an effective, really effective in-house lawyer. You've got to be completely in the business. You've got to be part of it from the start and from top to bottom, because otherwise you do end up just being brought in at the last minute. And then that's when the perception of you being a blocker comes in, mm. because whatever problems they may not have addressed or, or just didn't didn't know about, weren't aware of, you then highlight them when they've got all the way down the line and all they really want you to do is sign it off and go, yeah, there's, that, there's no problems there. And you say, well, actually, have you thought about X, Y, and Z? These things could be a bit of an issue for us. And it can sometimes derail the project a little yeah. bit. So having that proximity, having the closeness to the business means that those issues get dealt with before it's a big issue. It's sort of in the planning phases yeah. or, or right at the start when you can start explaining what you will need out of the project and what the project needs to deliver and they can explain the vision and where it want, where they want to go and it's just part of the conversation you're part of the conversation rather than being sort of the end point well, you've, yeah your objectives are aligned I think it's what you said yeah for, for, for sort of the, the spark that question was the fact that you were saying that you know, could believe in what the business was doing and where it was going and then you know it had some relevance which is it sounded quite exciting so that was Nickelodeon and then you moved to BT Sport from uh, Nickelodeon. Well, it was well. I've moved into the the media team at BT cover um, the TV platform, media services, and sport. So we are a multifunction team that looks after all elements of of the TV business because BT is part of 
uh, well, we're part owners of um, UView, so we have a massive investment. Can you just explain to people who are not familiar with what UView is? UView is a TV platform, so it's an IPTV platform, isn't it? Protocol TV, so it's essentially um, a platform like Virgin, like Sky, like Freeview. Uh, it's a it's a different way of collating all the TV content, the entertainment channels, all the other channels, and uh, providing them to the individual, to the customer. Um, so BT as a TV platform has to get um, or acquire all the TV channels from third parties. So that's very similar to the role I was doing at Nickelodeon, albeit on the other side of the table, but still the same content as TV channels. Uh, but what we also do, is where my focus is, is we have our own sports channels. So we launched BT Sport uh, in August 2013, and I joined a few months before that in the run-up because, as you can probably imagine, there was quite a lot to do, <laughs> and they were looking for experienced content lawyers. And when you really boil it down on the, on the content side, so the, the rights acquisitions, getting the programs, getting the rights, is pretty similar whether you're talking about entertainment rights, film rights, mm -hmm. video on demand rights, or sports rights. It's essentially you're getting content onto channels to then play out to the to the customer, to the to the guys watching at the end. Um, and they needed an experienced content lawyer, and then it had the added bonus of sort of being part of the run up to to the launch of these new channels, the first major launch of sports channels for a very long time. Uh, and we had a very short amount of time to uh, to get it all running, up and running, uh, and we had an awful lot to do. What did you learn from that process? Because that must be, you know, they, these type of... I remember speaking to, I've actually got it to publish at some point, <laughs> Tim Jones, who's, who's excellent, uh, former Freshfields partner of the Vault Olympics, Chief General Counsel for the Rugby World Cup, talking about um, working on mega events and how... Um, how useful it is for a, uh, a law firm uh, or a sports practice or the individual in-house lawyers working on these mega events because you just get this accelerated learning that you otherwise would may take you 20 years in a legal profession to get. So I should imagine that was quite an accelerated period. Was there, maybe I guess from a legal standpoint, there might not have been maybe stuff you're familiar with, but was there anything from a, from a personal perspective, I guess? Well, I think what was really uh, interesting for me was I had the, a real issue getting squared away in my head was I was joining BT which is a very traditional um, well the original telecoms company it's it has a unfairly poor reputation of being very slow very ponderous very process driven to a degree that that does come through but they had never being part of a sports world and also never being part or never had to move so incredibly quickly because essentially we started this journey they made the decision to buy um, some or get involved in um, premier rights mm -hmm. premier football and and then we had about from the award of of those rights we had no channels to put those rights on we had nothing wow. so from that moment to beginning of august 2013 so shortly before the start of the season there was a give or take nine months and we had to build studios we had to get all the rest of the content for the channels 
We started off thinking we were going to launch uh, one or two channels. We ended up uh, also acquiring ESPN in the UK, so we launched three channels. Um, and all the content, and you need the presenters, the, the technical teams, the playout, absolutely anything and everything you that's could possibly big, imagine. It's a big roll of a dice as well, isn't it? When you, yeah. When you, when you, uh, you know. And it was quite, it was, it was quite nice. And but, but the big learning for me, and the the concern that I had was how on earth can you do the two? How can you have such a traditional slow moving or, or what I thought was a very slow moving business? with what was going to have to be an incredibly fast process to get it all up and running. And what was brilliant, and I think BT as a, as a group has learned from this as well as uh, and having seen the benefit of it, is that we were given real freedom to just go and get it done. We couldn't spend months and months and months negotiating individual deals and getting the absolute sort of gold-plated best possible position for BT. And so very early on, we took the decision to draft all of our contracts from the middle point, from the middle ground. So we could go to whoever it happens to be, whether it's a presenter, whether it's a services company, um, a rights owner, and say, look, here's our contract. It's fair to both sides. Obviously, we're protecting ourselves, but there are mm. sort of uh, lots of protections in there for you as well. It's a middle ground. We want you just to essentially pick out the absolute killer points for you if you have any, otherwise let's sign it and go and do some business. And taking that approach seemed a little bit odd because normally you go into a negotiation thing, right, this is my best position to start off with and they'll have their best position and eventually you'll chip away at each other and come to a middle ground. And we thought, we don't have time for that. Let's just go straight in, be reasonable, get the deal signed. And we did, and we got quite a good reputation for being easy to deal with. And because we were in a sort of BT Sports silo, we were allowed that freedom to just get on and so do we, it. It's just, we hear about this type of thing with like, you know, essentially creating, um, there's a guy that does, uh, Eric Reef, I think his name is, the Lean Startup. He talks about this within business, which is essentially you have startup, even in big corporations, you've got small businesses, and if you allow them to, to, to have a certain amount of freedom, autonomous, autonomy, and um, you know, with, with clear set boundaries, then they can thrive. And also, the, 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 if you are doing that analysis, continual analysis of your performance, and that can filter into the business. So do you, do you think that that actually had a, a positive impact on the wider business as a, as a sort of template for, uh, so essentially it's, a, it's getting a well-established business and making it more uh, innovative? Yes. Um, I think there are, there are certain parts of the business which are always going to be, um, always going to have to go through the very slow process. Um, doesn't have to be slow, but it's a very involved process, very big, mega deals on the telecom side of things, but I, absolutely, yeah. but I think there has been some good learning and, and the business has been able to relax a little bit with the freedom that they, that they gave us. I mean, we've been pulled up a little bit on our process and we've had to put in more process once we've, we're up and running, <laughs> but equally I think the business has seen the benefits of we can be a little bit more hands off, we can let them get on with it. So I think both sides have definitely benefited from it. That's excellent. Um, it's really interesting to hear that, but I find it fascinating. Um, so what do you, in your day, this is, I guess it's hard to have a typical week. I always ask people, <laughs> what's your typical week like? Most people come back with the answer is, I don't really have a typical week. <laughs> if, if you could pretend, pretend and, then, and say that you have, say yeah. you're having a, a, a typical week, what would your sort of typical week look like? Um, it depends what uh, rights are 
essentially out in the market at any one time. So <clears throat> if there's a major auction going on, then I will be focused on that. Whether or not we're going to bid, whether or not we're going to be sort of very seriously involved in the running, if there's a significant uh, set of sports rights out there, we will be looking at it and evaluating it and deciding whether or not to bid. Uh, so there'll be a significant amount of work looking at that, depending on how much legal paperwork is involved in, in the tender, whether it's a formal tender, just a sort of direct approach, all those sorts of things. But within the sports team, we also look after group-wide sponsorships and partnerships. We also look after all the talent um, and all various other things as well. So they're very specific issues that we look after. For example, anti-piracy, we, we assist. I mean, we're not directly running the projects, but we obviously have a pretty vested interest in sort of trying to block uh, piracy. <laughs> uh, it seems to be a quite a hot topic at the moment. So it'll be a lot of contract work, a lot of um, chasing people up inevitably for answers to try and get the contract work done. <laughs> um, management, we've got a, a, I'm in a team of 13. I mean, I directly look after three people. Um, so there's always a bit of management there. But within the wider media team, it's spreading the work out, making sure everyone has a, a sort of fair share of all the various different things that we do. Um, and uh, yeah, just trying to keep a lid on everything and make sure not none of the individual elements explode at any one time. And and do you enjoy what you do? So when you came into, I think I know the answer, but the um, you're so enthusiastic. But the um, uh, from when you initially made that decision, you know, look back all that, you know, reflecting all that time ago, I think right, I want to be in, in sports media. That's where I really want to go to. And now you're in that position. You're in a very one of the most senior jobs in this sort of position. Well, how do you reflect on it now? Think, you know, how does it match up to your expectations and do you still enjoy it? Absolutely. I was, I mean, it, it's one of the best jobs out there and it's fantastic. You're in an industry you love, um, in, a, in a group of people who are incredibly passionate about what they do. Um, the, the depth of knowledge, even though we're a very, very new company, only four years old, but we're part of BT, but BT Sport, if you look at it as a sort of separate company, um, four years old, four and a bit years old. Uh, incredibly, it's like yeah, that's, that's really it's crazy. mad. Yeah, no. But we're the the passion and the depth of knowledge within that group just means, however much you think you know, you never know as much as the next guy, and there's always something to learn. And the law can be perceived as a fairly dry topic uh, and a fairly fairly dry job, but. For me, the subject matter means it's always interesting. You may be looking at the same specific sort of black letter legal points, but it's in a context of a really exciting new sport or an old sport or whatever it happens to be, or e-sport even. Yeah. I mean, is it even a sport? But you're having all these debates and it's just the, the people you deal with are so passionate that you can't help but get sort of dragged along and enthused by it. So. I yeah, never look back. I'm, I agree with you on that point. That's the same with law and sport. I remember, you know, I have a lot of students come up to me who are doing their law degrees and they say, oh, thanks for doing law and sport because it, all it's done is, for them, at that particular moment in their, their, their journey, is made some of what was the, the dry context of law and put it into an environment in which they go, oh, this is actually enjoyable. Oh, I can understand it's relevant to me. Um, and I think if you can match up those two things, I think law is so intellectually stimulating and interesting in itself. Yeah. 
I think sometimes the legal profession does a bad job of, <laughs> uh, or does a good job of making it really dull unnecessarily. So, uh, well, some things you do need, you do need to have the black letter law background. You have to know the sort of how to structure your sentences so you don't get tripped up. How to structure your clauses. How to structure an agreement as a whole. All of these things you have to learn, and it can be quite a dry process. But when you come out and you start being able to get to the position that you can start negotiating your own deals and start doing your own work. So when it really comes into its own, you start thinking, right, now this is this can be actually quite fun. Whatever industry it happens to be, if you if you have a passion for it, it it's gonna work because it like you said, it's incredibly intellectually stimulating, but then within an environment or an industry that that works for you. And and what do you think over this four and a half year period, what would be the biggest shift you've seen in terms of or, or development? I think it probably is the expansion of digital rights and the, I think the change in attitude of the rights holders because there, there's been a traditional uh, difficulty in a, a difficulty to engage with the value of social media. One of the reasons is the ease of piracy. Digital media, social media is seen as, well, it's on the internet, therefore it's going to be really easy to pirate, therefore we're not going to do it, we don't want to put any long-form content on there because Joe Bloggs in his, his flat is going to rip it off and stick it on YouTube and everyone will be able to see it. Uh, but I think as um, digital rights management, so the protection technologies you, you put around the content gets better and better and the social media platforms get better at it and there's better ways of Know, watermarking your content and making sure you can tell whether it's uh, pirated or not um, it, it, it all it gets better so you have a more of an understanding that there are multiple ways of of consuming the content and it's it's not a standalone sort of offering it it complements all the other things so it complements the digital um, uh, presence you have it complements the linear TV or standard I want to watch the game at five o'clock. I'll switch on the TV. You can also have all the clips live on your uh, or of another game, a di different game that's on at the same time, which you wouldn't otherwise be able to see, and it brings the audience together. And, and I think that's it's interesting you say that as well, because would you agree then as well that it seems that the particularly the, the larger sports such as football and, and, and those right those, <coughs> the rights holders within that sport are starting to understand. Uh, that it is this complementary that your objectives are aligned, whereas you know, whereas before it may have seemed that you've got slightly different objectives. Whereas now there seems to be, um, I say this as if I know, but <laughs> I, I, I've been listening to obviously more experienced people like yourself tell me about these things. But um, that 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 they absolutely is as part of the negotiation, part of the tender process, that, that these things are identified and said, right, okay, you can have these rights, but you need to exploit them on social media. You know. I think there's still quite a long way to go but there has been a huge huge steps made already in understanding in the fact that the rights holders are getting much more comfortable with it and seeing it as value added um, an ability to add value to the to the rights that you already have um, there is definitely more work to do because people haven't really worked out how best to exploit it on the broadcaster side we're still deciding what we're going to do we're still toying with ideas playing playing with different ways of getting the best out of the content and whilst we're sort of learning that and the rights holders are learning the value from it and there's still all these background concerns about piracy and mm. 
free to air and the obvious difference with the traditional PSBs, the, the public service broadcasters who have a huge, much bigger reach than the pay broadcasters like us and Sky. Um, so the debate is partially formed by, well, if we have free to air exposure on linear TV, we're going to get huge audiences. And part of our sort of discussion is that we, you can partially get that or go a significant way of getting that on other ways of free exposure. So social media is, a, is at the moment, the great example of that. And you also have websites and mobile apps and uh, as, as well as your pay t your traditional pay TV offering. And in the tender process, then, in the, in the, in the, the guidelines or, or requirements, um, are you seeing these, these type of, I guess, metrics being identified and uh, being part of the requirement of that process that they need to be? Because one of the things that I think that, that keeps coming out are both on the, the business, the commercial side, but you know, that I sort of deal with them from a business owner's perspective yeah. and then from the legal sports law side <coughs> is that, um, and then as a, I guess the technology, as the technology develops is that these metrics they're using for the, to, to identify the return on investments and also putting the requirements on um, uh, the media businesses is that they have to clearly show and there has to be that learning because in the past it would seem that say for example the viewing figures on traditional linear, people say we've got, I don't know, 500 million people watching. They've taken a very, very small sample and then extrapolated that. And the good thing is with digital is that you obviously you can measure that. You can clearly yeah. see who is or who is not yeah. watching. And therefore, are we seeing that these, as as well, I guess, the waters are becoming clearer, I guess, and people are actually able to identify these things, that these metrics are now being brought into the contracts, whereas before maybe they were more broad? Well, I think... Now you're seeing the packages split up. You'll so have linear, <laughs> you'll have linear packages, and you'll have quite often you'll have a separate standalone digital pack that you can uh, acquire alongside the linear packs, and you'll have free packs and digital mm. packs and pay TV packs, or a sort of merge of them all. But it used to be, or certainly not that long ago, you would have a linear pack, and as part of that there would be almost a, an appendix, so how are you going to exploit this on digital? Whereas now you see more and more that it'll be a standalone package that the rights holders will will uh, put out in the market because they see that as a standalone proposition, there are a huge number of organisations that can provide fantastic coverage purely on digital platforms. There are an awful lot who don't have any linear TV outlet. So you can't really wrap the two up together. Quite frequently, it, it does get wrapped up, but I think they're seeing there's more opportunity to monetize if you split them out a little bit more. And so digital clearly is being valued more and more. Well, I guess that goes hand in hand with uh, having those metrics in place. You can understand the value that or that yeah. uh, that you have, and therefore the, the more you understand that value, the more you carve up the rights. I guess. Yes, um, to a degree. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm conscious of time. Uh, if you were going to give any advice to someone who was looking, so, so I imagine there's going to be a bunch of people listening to this thinking, man, he's, Alex has got, <laughs> got, got the job I want. Um, <laughs> sounds amazing. What advice would you give to someone who's you know, aspiring to be a media lawyer, preferably obviously trying to work in the sports sector? What advice would you give them both in terms of their, their outlook 
long-term outlook in terms of how they get to a position like yours, I know they're yeah. few and far between, but also in terms of what area of law that they focus on. Yeah. Well, I think my career path has shown that you certainly don't need to start out in sports law and dedicate your life to sports law from the very beginning. There are obviously huge benefits if you do, but the bottom line is it's a, well, a large amount of it, certainly in the broadcasting world, is commercial contracts and IP. So you get your grounding in commercial contracts, commercial, some sort of business area and intellectual property and you've got the founding blocks of what you want to do. If you can, if you can get the experience in a sports law practice then all the better because you'll get a huge number of different uh, areas of, of the sports law. For example, there, there are a number of things that I'm not involved in, all the governance side of things on the sports rights which I have very little experience in. So. It depends which area you want to go into, but if you want to go into more the rights side and rights holder side, then quite often I think a, a grounding in commercial contracts is, you can't really go wrong with that. Uh, and then it's a question of, you, once you know the law, know the black letter law, work on your sort of contract drafting and that sort of thing, it's then just getting yourself immersed in the business. So whichever industry you want to go in, go into, if you know the industry, you'll be able to apply all the bits you've learned, all the commercial contracts, to the specific scenarios. So if you want to work in sports, get to know the sports, get to know the, the, the way that the various different rights organisations sort of feed into each other. For example, you take football and you've got a huge number of rights organisations and different uh, organising bodies owning different elements of the, of the whole process. And if you look at it, you can't just say, well, football rights is very simple because there's only one person. There's not. There are hundreds of different people to, to get Absolutely. involved in. So it, you've got to almost take a little bit of a step back, try and understand the bigger picture, um, get as much uh, experience as you can, but don't think, sort of keeping that in mind, don't think that you have to go straight into the sport um, from the start. And one further question. If you're looking, when you're looking to hire someone, yep. what is the individual characteristic <clears throat> that you look for most? Or what is it you think, to, when you see somebody, you think, this is what I'm looking for the most. What is it that, that inspires you, I guess, in potential candidates? I think one thing that always stands out is, is genuinely personality. You can find, I mean, in a, in a sports law world or a media world, you've got an awful lot of people who are super keen to get involved. Quite often they have very similar skills, very good academics, all the rest of it, and it's quite difficult to work out between them sometimes uh, who's better than, than the next guy. What we really work out is once we've filtered down to the people with the right skills, there'll be a handful of them, and then when we get to meet them, it's who's really enthusiastic, who, who's looked into the business, who knows the business, who knows us, who understands what we're trying to do, but also who's, who's part of the team, who's going to fit in. We don't have a very big team. As I said, we've got 13 of us here. Um, if, you, if you're going to come in and be the best lawyer in the world, but never going to get on with anyone, then that'll be quite disruptive. We, we work incredibly closely with the business, very senior stakeholders down to very, very sort of junior people within the business, you've got to be able to communicate with all of them. So we look for good communication skills, 
good sort of empathy, good business understanding, and a genuine desire rather than just saying, oh, I really want to be in sports. Why? Because I like sports. You've got to go a little bit further than that. You've got to understand how it fits in with, with the business. And would you say that also then, not to labour this point, but the... Also, just because you don't fit within one business, say someone comes, you can have some very good candidates, no doubt, you get a host of them apply for a job. Just because they don't fit in at this moment in time, where they didn't articulate their personality that well in the interview, doesn't mean they won't necessarily find a job elsewhere. Because one of the things you, I think, within your firms, is the same with their silos, is that just because, you know, at that moment in time, if the people are looking to build a team, much like a sports team, yeah. certain certain times are looking for a, a certain type of individual, depending on what the need yeah. is, the requirement is. So. Absolutely, no, I quite agree. We we looked, uh, we went, we've been through a recruitment process in the last sort of 18 months, two years, and we met some fantastic people who we couldn't offer jobs to. And they're genuinely brilliant sports lawyers, probably, um, or they certainly came across as absolutely fantastic, fit the role, um, but there was someone else who was just a little bit more suited or a little slightly better experience. But it's just because... You haven't made it this time round doesn't mean by any means that, that you there's no role for you within the sports world or within the media world, whatever you want to go into. Um, it's just what what the need is at that moment in time will be very, very different. Alex, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. It's, a, it's always a pleasure to speak to you, generally anyway. <laughs> um, but just to see, I don't even enthusiastic about your work, but generally, see how enthusiastic about um, your job, and your career and how I think uh, how much appreciation you have for what you do because I think sometimes in our sector I think we can always forget myself included sometimes <laughs> how privileged we are to, to, to work absolutely in so thank you for your time I know you're super busy I really appreciate it absolute pleasure sadly that's all we have time for for this show I hope you enjoyed the show remember for all your latest sports law updates and information you can go to lawandsport.com or follow us on twitter at law and sport go to our youtube channel follow us on itunes or soundcloud you can also go to our website to sign up for our weekly email. Thanks again for tuning in. Music.